Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, Thomas Frank is an entrepreneur who lives in Boulder, Colorado, and he gets up at 5.55 every morning. That's when he has his clock set for. In fact, if he doesn't get up at 5.55, he automatically sends a tweet to everyone who follows him on Twitter, and the tweet says, it's 6.10, I'm not up yet because I'm lazy. Because I'm lazy. And then the tweet continues, reply to this tweet via PayPal, we'll we'll pay you five bucks. I'll pay you five bucks. Uh, Limit five customers. You talk about someone with serious motivation to get up in the morning. He's not only going to lose some money if he doesn't, but he's self-identified himself then publicly as a lazy dude, a lazy guy. His story is told in a book on habit formation called Atomic Habits. We're promoting this book during the course of our series on on habits, uh, selling it at our our bookshops. I encourage you to pick up a copy. James Clear, the author of the book, says, if we want to develop good habits, it's important to determine what kind of person we want to become because lasting habits are driven by our desired identity. Let me read that to you again. Lasting habits are driven by our desired identity. See, that's why Thomas responds to his alarm in the morning. He wants to be identified as a cool, hustle and bustle, entrepreneurial guy, not as a sluggard. James Clear tells a more positive story in his book about a woman he he knew who lost 100 pounds because she wanted to be identified as a healthy person. So throughout the course of her day, she would ask herself countless times, what would a healthy person do? You know, would a healthy person walk or take a cab? Uh, Would a healthy person order a burrito or a salad for lunch? What would a healthy person do? And so she continued to make healthy person choices and over time, guess what, became a healthy person herself. So welcome to week two of a three-part series called The Whole 90, Habits That Will Change Your Life. What kind of a person do you want to become? The identity you desire will drive your habits, and then your habits will shape your life. Our topic today is financial fitness. So before we start talking about the habits that we could practice over the next 90 days, habits that would make us financially fit, let me ask you the identity question. What kind of person would you like to become with regard to your money? What kind of person would you like to become with regard to your money? See, financial fitness is just a means to an end. So what's the end for you? What kind of person would you be if you were financially fit? I want you to imagine that, picture that for a moment. You know, call that picture to mind because that picture is what's going to motivate you to put financial habits in place over the next 90 days. What's your self-portrait? What's your picture? Let me, let me suggest several possible pictures, okay? Maybe you picture a debt-free person because currently you're under a pile of debt. you got student loans or 
car payments, a huge household mortgage, a credit card debt, what, what, and you could just imagine what it would feel like to be debt-free. And that sort of picture will motivate your financial fitness habits, but only for a short time. It's a short-term goal. We've got scores of people around Christ Community Church who have gone through FPU, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's materials, and you've gotten debt-free. Fantastic. But now what? What kind of person do you want to be? Okay, maybe another picture uh, you've called to mind. Maybe you call to mind a picture of a materialistic person. You figure, quite frankly, if you put financial fitness habits in place, you could make some money and think of what you could do with the money. You could buy a better car. You know, you could take more vacations. Maybe that cruise you've always wanted to go on. You could get out of your rented apartment and move into a home. You know, if you're a high school student and you practice financial fitness habits, maybe you could rent a limo for prom this year. You know, you could eat out at all sorts of nice restaurants, a materialistic person. I know people who post pictures of what they would like to acquire on the refrigerator if they just had the financial means to purchase it. So this is their motivation. Now, is that a good motivation for someone who's a Christ follower? You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 19, he said, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth. So that may be a motivation to practice financial fitness habits, but not a great motivation. Okay, maybe your picture is that of a well-budgeted person. You, you'd really like to be organized. You know, maybe, maybe you're bent toward organization, maybe you're not bent toward organization, which is why you'd like to be organized. And you could just imagine what it would be like if you put the right habits in place and suddenly you had the right amount of, of money in every right category. You had money set aside for retirement, for savings, for insurance, for Christmas gifts, for college tuition. I mean, Dave Ramsey would be proud of you. Is, is that a great motivation for financial fitness habits? I think it's kind of boring. I'm not sure it's going to drive any habits. It's good, you know, to be well-budgeted. That's a, you know, a worthy pursuit, but kind of boring. Here's a fourth picture, possible picture. A generous person. And I'm going to cut right to the chase here and tell you this is the picture this is the picture that God paints for you and for me in the pages of Scripture. I want you to turn with me. If you brought a Bible, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So find 1 Corinthians 16, if you would. And while you're turning, I, I want to I challenge you to picture yourself as a generous person. Let's say that your financial fitness habits are paying off. You now have enough money to, to do what? Well, maybe to support a child at the orphanage that we work alongside of in Bangladesh. Or, or picture this, one of your co-workers, a single mom, announces that uh, her car's broken down and she doesn't have money for repairs, and you cover the repairs. Or there's a hurricane this spring in some part of the country in Samaritan's Purse, an organization we work with a lot here at Christ Community Church. They're sending relief teams, and we take a special offering, and you could picture yourself writing a significant check. Wouldn't that be cool? 
Or picture every time you walk through the doors of Christ Community Church, you say, because this is a ministry that you give to on a regular basis, I'm supporting what God's doing here through all the ministries. I'm kind of a a co-owner of what's happening around here. Picture yourself as a generous person. If that feels good, it's because it's what God desires for you. Because God himself is generous. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights, James says. God is generous and he wants you to reflect his character. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look at three aspects of generosity. Three aspects of the generosity that should motivate us to practice financial fitness habits. Habits that we're going to be challenging you to put into place during the course of the series over the next 90 days. So generosity. Three things I want to say about generosity from 1 Corinthians 16. If you haven't taken the program outline out, I encourage you to do that. This series is really, really practical with a lot of how-to steps. You're going to want to jot something down. So number one, what's generosity? Generosity is compassionate giving. Generosity is compassionate giving. Now, if your Bible is open to 1 Corinthians 16, let me read the opening verse to you. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, you'll see it on the screen. But I want to encourage you to bring a Bible with you and mark it up as we study it together each week. Paul says now about the collection for the Lord's people. Okay, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. We're going to stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of the New Testament's epistles, letters. Occasionally, he would write a letter to a group of people he'd never met, like the letter of Colossians. He'd never met the Colossians. But in the case of the Corinthians, he knew these people. He had lived in the city of Corinth for a year and a half. He had introduced many of them to Jesus. He had started the church in the city of Corinth. So Paul knew the the Corinthians, and on a previous visit, he had told them about a special offering, a collection that he was putting together for Christ followers in the city of Jerusalem. And and so here in chapter 16, verse 1, he's reminding them of this offering. Now about that collection that I told you about for the Lord's people. So why is Paul collecting this money for Christians in Jerusalem? It's because the Christ followers in Jerusalem were very, very, very poor. And they were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. I mean, that was the epicenter of persecution in that day, Jerusalem. And so Paul is saying to these Corinthians, hey, come on, let's pool our resources. Let's make a gift. Let's relieve, you know, our brothers and sisters who are living in Jerusalem. Paul is tugging at their heartstrings. Paul is appealing to compassion. Now, in the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, compassion was not a, mo- not a motivation for generosity. Well, people were in- encouraged to be generous and give to those in need, but it wasn't because of compassion. It was because of honor. Okay, in the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, you, you, you gave for the sake of recognition, for respect, so that people would praise you, not out of compassion. You know, I'll tell you a story that illustrates what I'm talking about here. Uh, my wife, Sue's got an uncle, had an uncle, Uncle Guy. Uncle Guy was a curmudgeon, okay? He attended church rarely, 
but he frequently watched a TV preacher from California every uh, Sunday morning, had a church back when called the Crystal Cathedral. And so one day, Uncle Guy announces to the rest of the family that he is going to make a gift. He's going to write a check out for the Crystal Cathedral to purchase a pane of glass that will have his name etched on it for, you know, to be placed in the Crystal Cathedral. And we're all thinking to ourselves, Uncle Guy's going to write a check for a church? You're kidding me. But then Uncle Guy got word that his pane of glass was going to be placed so high that no one would ever be able to read his name put an immediate stop to his contribution. Okay, compassionate giving. Paul didn't try to motivate the Corinthians to be generous on the basis of honor. Your name is going to be on the pane of glass or on the basis of guilt or on the basis of duty. He appealed to a sense of love and compassion for others. You know, the Christ followers in Jerusalem had a huge need. They were desperately poor. They were violently persecuted. Hey, let's take a collection for them, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16.1. And then, then he repeats this appeal in his letter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, Paul says, I'm not commanding you to give. Okay, I'm not browbeating you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. It's got to come from compassion. The very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, he says, give what you've decided in your heart to give. When you give, give out of compassion. Compassionate giving. We give because we, we see a need that we have the resources to meet, and so it moves our heart. You know, now, sometimes that need is physical. Let me just say, physical needs are the easiest to spot, and they, they quickly stir up compassion. Starving children around the world, and that's why we gave a huge year-end gift to Christ Community Church, and we're now going to pack a million meals through Feed My Starving Children in the next few weeks. You know, a crisis pregnancy center for uh, women who have an unplanned pregnancy, and they're being tempted to abort the baby, and so we want to come alongside them. Freshwater wells for villagers in West Africa. You look down the block, and you see a widow living in a house with a, a roof that's falling apart, and you're motivated to do something about it. See, physical needs are the easiest to spot, and they quickly stir up our compassion. But what about spiritual needs? You know, what about people who need uh, the forgiveness that can only be found in Christ? What about people who need the purpose, the sense of mission that Jesus offers, the new life he promises to give those who surrender to him, eternal life? 1 John 5, verse 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's a pretty significant need that we often gloss over. You know, that's a need that's addressed by the local church. Christ Community Church exists to introduce people to Jesus and then nurture their relationship with him. Are we motivated out of compassion to give toward that cause? You know, John, John and Michelle are motivated to meet spiritual needs. Uh, I'm going to tell you several stories about Christ Community generous givers today, and I'm only using first names so as not to embarrass these people. I know their stories, they've been given to me by our generosity pastor. Uh, believe it or not, we think that generosity is such an important value. We actually have a pastor on staff who oversees, who cultivates uh, generosity. 
So he's told me about John, John and Michelle. 15 years ago, uh, Christ Community Church had entered into a building campaign at the St. Charles campus. We had run out of room for children and for students. And so we'd gone to an architect and we came up with these uh, designs for beautiful buildings, a two-story kids' world facility, a really cool hub for high school students. Now, in order to do the project, we needed millions of dollars. We needed hundreds of people to step up and give generously. So let me tell you what John and Michelle did. John and Michelle sold their house and downsized. They downsized their house deliberately so they would have extra money to give to this cause. Say, wow. Are they sorry they did that 15 years later? Oh, they're ecstatic that they did that. In fact, it's enabled them, they say, to continue to give. They, they, they look at what God's done over the last 15 years in the lives of children and kids around our St. Charles campus. They see kids stepping up to get baptized like what we saw last weekend. You know, scores of kids declaring their allegiance to Jesus. They see children gathered in classrooms being mentored in what it means to follow Christ. They see huge crowds of young people gathered for uh, our, our, our summer camp, Camp Commotion every year, 30% of whom come from outside the church, outside any church. They, they, they see what we're able to do coming up here at prom time. Did you know that we host in St. Charles, we host the post-prom party for the local high school. There'll be scores of kids coming through our doors on that night. Hopefully, we'll have them come back at some time and hear about Christ. See, John and Michelle are compassionate givers. Their hearts are moved by the spiritual needs of children and students. Let me ask you the question. What moves your heart to the point of generosity? What moves your heart to the point of generosity? It's that generosity that is going to push you to develop financial fitness habits that will allow you to give. Here's a second thing I want to tell you about generosity. It's got to do with disciplined giving. Back to 1 Corinthians 16. You know, so Paul is taking up a collection for the poor and persecuted Christ followers in Jerusalem. He wants the Corinthians to participate, so he gives them some very practical directions. Look at verse 2. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Now, the advice that the Apostle Paul gives here is so simple, it would be easy to miss. You know, the Corinthians would like to be generous people. Paul says, okay, if you'd like to be generous, then each person should set aside a sum of money the first day of every week. That's it. You know, Paul was concerned, hear me, Paul was concerned that the Corinthians would turn out to be all talk and no walk. All talk and, and no walk. When he originally told them about that special offering he was collecting, their immediate response was, hey, count us in. Oh, yeah, we're, we're in, we would love to contribute. But Paul knew that if the Corinthians didn't put some simple habits in place, like setting aside a little bit of money the first day of every week, when he arrived, there would be no money to collect. 
Now, l- listen to what Paul says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. He says, last year you were the first to have a desire to give. Now finish the work. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. In other words, walk the talk, guys. You you say you want to be generous. That's the identity you desire for yourself. Then put some financial fitness habits in place that will ensure your ability to give. Set aside a sum of money the first day of every week. I mean, do that again and again and again and again. Do it week after week after week after week after week. You get it? Good. James Clear, in his book, Atomic Habits, He writes, the more you repeat a behavior, the more you reinforce the identity associated with that behavior. Okay, what's the identity you aspire to? What do you want for yourself? Who do you want to become, financially speaking? The more you repeat behaviors associated with that identity, the greater greater the chance that that identity is going to take shape in you. James goes on to say that the word identity comes from the Latin identidem, which means repeatedly. Repeatedly. We form our desired identity, who we want to become, by repeating certain behaviors. If we want to become generous people, there are some financial fitness habits that we've got to put into practice. Like what? Well, Paul Lays out a real simple habit. Again, verse 2, set aside a certain sum of money the first day of every week. You know, put aside this money that's going to be given to the Lord's work. Don't leave it to chance. Don't leave your giving to chance. Don't throw into the offering bag whatever you happen to have in your pocket that day. Don't, Don't wait until the end of the month to make your gift to the Lord's work when you've paid all the bills and you've spent whatever you want to spend on yourself and your family. No. Designate a percentage of money that you're going to give from every paycheck, from every bonus, every lawn you mow, every child you babysit, and then set it aside first thing before you're tempted to do anything else with that sum of money. You know, James Clear has got great habit-forming tips in his book, and one of them he he gives is he says, you know, if you want to determine your identity by the habits that will shape that that identity, he said, choose habits that are easy, uh, easy to put into practice. And he recommends using technology to automate whatever habits you can. He gives an example of what he's talking about. He says, I've got a friend who wants to get to bed on time, but he never does. He wants to get more rest, but he doesn't get the rest he needs. And the reason is, is because he stays up on his laptop late into the night. And so the dude, what he did is he went out to the the hardware store and he bought himself an automatic, uh, automatic timer and he plugged it into the wall and then he plugged his router into the automatic timer And at 10 o'clock at night, the timer goes off, the power to the router is killed, and the internet goes down, and the dude goes to bed. An automated habit. James Clear says, hey, if you want to save money, do the same thing. He says, your bank probably has a way of withdrawing a designated amount. You give them the designated amount, they'll take it right out of your paycheck, and they'll put it in savings. Automate it. See, the Apostle Paul would say, terrific idea. Now do it with giving. Do it with your giving. Do it so it's it's automatic. 
Now, Paul had no technology to make it automatic in the first century, but we do today. Did you know that 40% of the givers at Christ Community Church give online now? They give automatically. And so their, their giving comes through whether they're in town or not, whether they're sick and can't make it to church or they're here. You know, they're never tempted to spend that money before they give it to the Lord's work. It's given every paycheck automatically. They're becoming generous people. Now, some of you might not have known this, but when the offering bag comes by and the person next to you doesn't put anything in, it's probably not because they're not a giver. Well, it could be. But it's, it's probably because they're an automated giver. In fact, someone wrote me recently and they suggested, hey, you know, I give automatically, but I'd love to participate in the worship part of our service where the offering is taken, so could we do something like wave our cell phones over the bag? <laughs> no. But we, listen, we become generous people by practicing disciplined giving. Now, I've given you one tip tip from James Clear about how to do that. Automated giving is, is one way. What are some other tips for developing overall financial fitness, habits that if you put them in place, they will give you, allow you money to give? Uh, I can answer that in one sentence. Sign up for FPU. Okay, Financial Peace University. It's a 10-week course taught on video by national expert Dave Ramsey. It will change your life. Here's another Christ Community Church giver's story. This one's about John and Dawn. Okay, John was the family bookkeeper, and their finances were a mess. You know, they had amassed a ton of debt, and Dawn didn't know. John knew. And one of the bad habits that John practiced is he would allow the family to spend uh, extravagant, extravagant amounts at Christmas time in the hopes that that money would come back to them on their tax refund several months later, but it didn't. And so the debt was piling up and piling up, and finally it got to the point where John had to come clean with God, had to come clean with Dawn. The first thing they did is they got out the Dave Ramsey book, the book that is the foundation for his class, you know, Financial Peace University, and they began to study it together and put financial principles in place, habits in place, including giving. They started to give, and God blessed their obedience. And now they would say, oh, you don't know the feeling, the great feeling of being out from under the stress of debt. So our next Financial Peace University, our classes, they're taught at all four campuses. Uh, take a look at your weekly welcome, whatever campus you're at today. There's probably one coming up at your campus. If there's not uh, one coming up soon, you could go to one of the other campuses and participate. Disciplined giving. Third aspect of generosity is proportionate giving. Now, I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians 16 one last time. I'd like to note a couple of key phrases in verses I've already read to you. So look again at verse 2. Paul addresses this giving challenge to each one of you. You see that? If you've got your own Bible, it's where you mark it up. Just underline or circle each one of you. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money. In other words, Paul was expecting 100% participation in this collection. 
You know, not, not because he was twisting their arms. He just figured, hey, if you guys are truly Christ followers, I'm just going to assume that you're going to want to be generous. See, a non-giving Christ follower is an oxymoron. If, if you're a person who surrendered to Christ and you understand what Jesus did for you, that he gave his life on the cross so your sins could be forgiven, you know, the only possible response is to say, what can I give in return? I want to follow in Jesus' generous footsteps. I got to give, whether you're rich or you're poor or you're somewhere in between. Each one of you, Paul says, I know is going to want to give. Now, the other phrase in verse 2 that I want you to note is this one, in keeping with your income. You see that one? In keeping with your income. Paul asks every one of the Corinthians to give in keeping with your income. So he doesn't put a dollar amount on the gift. Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm collecting this offering for poor people in Jerusalem. I, I want everybody to ante up 100 bucks." No, because he knows that the, the people with a lower income, they would say, whoa, that's an awful lot of money. And the people with higher incomes, they could give 100 bucks and never miss it. I mean, they spent more than that at the chariot races the previous week, right? So instead, Paul's standard for giving is this, in keeping with your income. He's talking about, listen, he's talking about proportionate giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, Paul writes, if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. In other words, God doesn't ask us to give money we don't have. But he does expect us to give a proportionate amount of our income to his work in this world. Now, friends, this is a basic biblical principle. It's called tithing. Okay, some of you are familiar with tithing, some of you have never heard of tithing. The word tithe means tenth, and the biblical principle is tithing is that God asks us to give a regular tenth of our income to his work. Now, the fact of the matter is, even after we've given our, our, our 10%, it's not like the, the rest, the 90% is for us. God owns it all. God owns 100% of what we have, but he asks for a 10% return. You know, 10% of every paycheck, every inheritance or bonus or commission or garage sale or whatever. That is the baseline for generosity in the Bible. And that's not the standard for the overachievers. It's what every Christ follower's generosity, it's where it's supposed to begin. Now, I, I sometimes hear Christ followers object to this tithing standard, and some of, it do it, some of them do so on the basis that, well, this is an Old Testament law. It's got nothing to do with Christ followers today. First thing I want to point out is that while it's emphasized much more in the Old than in the New Testament, it's never revoked. It's never withdrawn in the New Testament. It's never like God says, okay, stop doing this. And the second thing I want to point out is if this is the standard in Old Testament times, before God ever gives us Jesus, ever gives his son to die on the cross. What should the standard be for those of us who've now experienced the lavish grace of God in Christ? To give less than Old Testament believers or to give more? So this is the standard. This is the standard. Now, we may not be able to get to a tithe right away, you know, that may be too big a leap for you. You're hearing me preach this today and you're saying, wow, to go from nothing to 
10%. That's a huge... So what we recommend around Christ Community Church for those who want to progress in the direction of generosity, I want to become a more generous person. Three steps. And we have outlined those three steps on a little card that we have made available to you. In fact, I want you to pull it out right now because I want to tell you what's on the card, okay? If you're in St. Charles in the auditorium, uh, this card is in the seat back pocket ahead of you. So pull one out, shake it at me, let me know you got it. If you're at one of the other campuses, this, this card was on your seat when you came in today. Uh, it says the whole 90 on it. Three steps for making progress in generosity. Now, again, keep in mind that the goal of our Whole90 series is to commit ourselves for 90 days for three months to good habits between now in February to the end of May. Hopefully, after 90 days, these good habits will become lifelong habits. So last week, we talked about physical fitness habits. Today, financial fitness habits. Next week, spiritual fitness habits. So this card is intended to help us put some financial fitness habits in place, specifically habits related to generosity. Uh, please note the card says the same thing on both sides, and it's perforated in the middle. So here's what you do with it, real simple. You choose one of the three boxes on one side that fits what you think God is saying to you about habit habits regarding generosity he'd like you to develop. And you check it off, you turn the card over, you check off the very same box on the other side, you tear it in half, and at the end of the service today, on your way out of the auditorium at any of our four campuses, by every exit there is a box, and you stick your card, half of the card, in the box. You keep half for yourself to remind you of this habit you want to practice for 90 days. Put it on your bathroom mirror, your car dashboard, or whatever. Put the other half in the box. Why put something in the box? So that this will become a more definitive, determined I'm going to do this. That's the sort of statement you're making. Please note, nowhere on the card do you put your name. So you don't put it in the box because, you know, this is some kind of a ruse on our part. We're trying to get you to give us contact information so we can nag you about your giving. There's nowhere on here you put your name. This is for you. Now, what we will do, we will pray over everyone who's stuck a card in that box who wants to practice generosity habits. We'll say, God. Give them the strength and determination to do this. Now, now a couple more introductory remarks uh, before we get going with the card. No pressure with the card. Its sole purpose to help, is to help you move from being a more generous person in your dreams to being a more generous person in reality. Okay, I'm going to walk you through the card in a moment, but first a word to those of you who are married couples. Uh, because you probably handle all your financial matters, including your giving jointly, uh, all you need to do is fill in one card, not two cards. Fill in one. Okay, and at the end of the service, you'll have just a few minutes. Uh, you'll have the time to speak to your spouse, check off a box, drop half of it in, in the box at the back. Some of you are thinking, married couples, are you kidding me? We've never made any decision in our marriage in five minutes, much less anything having to do with money. Okay, so I get that. So here's what you can do. Take the card home. Talk about it. Pray about it. Say, what, what is God stretching us to do? Check something off a box. Check it off on both sides. Tear it in half. Bring half of it back with you next week. We'll keep the boxes out for one more week. So you can say, yeah, I'm going to do this. 
And if you're a middle school or a high school student, don't you hide behind your parents' generosity, okay? You fill out a card for yourself. If you've got a source of income because you mow lawns or shovel drives or you babysit or you've got a part-time job or granny gives you money on your birthday and you want to become generous, fill a card out for yourself. What are you going to do over the next three months? All right, now, the first box on the card. I just want to walk through the boxes so you understand them. We'll check them off. We'll close in a word of prayer and sing a song, and, and we'll go. First box says, I will give blank percent of my income for the next 90 days. This is for those of you who are not yet givers. Now, national statistics, surveys have been done across the nation. 37% of the people who go to church on a regular basis never give anything to the church that nurtures their spiritual growth. So I'm going to assume there are a lot of people at Christ Community Church who are probably in this category. Love the church, haven't been a giver yet. This is your chance to say, okay, I'm going for it. Now, the reason we ask you to put a percentage in here is for the sake of habit formation. If you say, yeah, okay, I'm going to start giving whenever and whatever I feel like giving at the time. No, that's not the way you form a habit, so you will never become a generous person. So we gave you a blank here. Fill it. If 10%, if a tithe is too big a start for you, then where do you want to start? The 2%, 4%, 7%. You know, there should be a little bit of stretch here to your faith, a little like, I don't know, I'm going to do it, God, but with your help, here's what I'm going to try to do. Okay, the second box says, I will give a tithe 10% of my income for the next 90 days. Okay, this is for those of you who are already giving something to the Lord's work at Christ Community Church. Maybe you give on a regular basis, but it's, it's less than a tithe, you want to go to a tithe. According to national statistics, the same survey, only 10 to 20% of a church's givers give a full tithe. Okay, so 37% don't give anything, which means that of the 63 remaining percent who give, okay, only 10 to 20% give the tithe. How many Christians tithe according to this natural, uh, national survey? 2.5% of Christ followers give what God says in his word to give. So is it time for you to become a tither? This is the only step, listen, this is the only step of obedience in the entire Bible I know of where God says to you, test me in this and see if I don't reward you. Malachi chapter 3, you could read it on your own sometime. God says, if you'll bring the full tithe, the full 10%, I will open the windows of the storehouses of heaven and rain down so much blessing on you, you won't be able to contain it. Now, please understand, this is not monetary blessing all the time. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's when we get serious about giving and becoming generous people, God blesses us with answers to prayer. Or he heals broken relationships in our lives. Or he gives us a sense of peace or fulfillment or greater intimacy with him. All I know is that if you'll take the tithe test for the next 90 days, God will show up. Cameron and Kleinette, another Christ Community Church giver anecdote, uh, when they first came to Christ Community Church, they saw an advertisement for FPU and so they immediately signed up. And they went to FPU and they started putting these financial habits in place and they started to give and they said, we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to do the tithe. And they started to tithe. And you know what happened? His uh, salary got cut. <laughs> 
He starts to tithe and his salary gets cut. They're tightening the belt at work and his salary gets lessened. So they had a little powwow husband and wife and you know what they decided to do? They decided that they were going to continue to tithe and tithe at the amount of the previous salary, the higher salary, and see what God would do. Shortly after that, he got an offer from another company. He got a new position that pays a greater amount than he ever got paid at the previous job. And he says, Cameron says, you know, we've been trying to give to God and he just keeps giving back. Put God to the test and see what he'll do. Are you ready to become a tither? Third box, some of you are already thinking, well, we are tithers, but maybe you've been treating your tithe as a finish line when in God's word it's meant as a starting line. God says, hey, you know, don't stop growing in generosity. Keep it up. You know, Sue and I give our, our baseline tithe to Christ Community Church every year because uh, the Bible teaches we believe that the first 10% of our income goes to the local church that nourishes our growth. And then we love to give beyond that tithe to other things, to missionaries that we support, to orphans in Bangladesh, you know, that we're kind of adopted parents for. When a year-end gift opportunity comes to feed my starving children, then we'll give over and above our tithe to that. Sometimes we give over and above the tithe just back to Christ Community Church because we're so excited about what God is doing here. So if you're ready to check that box, I want to get stretched. I want to do something crazy. I want giving to become an adventure for me. Man, go for it, box number three. By the way, one of the ways that you could give over and above a tithe and it won't cost you anything is by putting the Lord's work into your estate planning. Okay, because if you don't, the government's going to get a whole lot of what you don't want to give them. So you could give it to the government or, or you, could get, you, you could get serious about leaving stuff not only to your kids but to leave it to ministries that spread the good news about Jesus around the world as well as in local places like Christ Community Church. You know, this is why we're doing a financial legacy workshop March 7th. We're flying in an outside expert who's going to come and speak that day. If you want to know, okay, how can we put our estate together, our will together, what we leave behind so the government doesn't get it, well, we're sure that our kids get it and the Lord's work gets it, that uh, seminar is for you. Now, one last note about the card. At the very bottom, we ask you to circle one of two words. After you've checked off one of the boxes, we want to know, is this going to be a new habit for you or is this going to be a continued habit? So like, we've never done this before. We never tithe, but we're going to tithe. Okay, this is new. Or, you know what, we're tithers already and we're really comfortable. We feel like this is where God wants us to be. Continued habit. All right, so, so circle, new or continued, and how will it affect, you know, the card? Well, it's just going to help us know how to pray for you. We've got a bunch of people doing a new habit, or are they continuing? You know, God bless their faithfulness. So we are going to be praying for you. One final word, and then we're going to collect our gifts and offerings. We're going to sing a song of praise to God. Okay. Some pastors are so fearful about preaching about money, they never do. I love to preach about money, and here's why. It's not because of what I want from you. It's because of what I want for you. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, 
He says, if God can't trust you with worldly wealth, with your finances, he's never going to trust you with true spiritual riches. See, the fact of the matter is you will never grow as a Christ follower. You will never take off as a Christ follower if you don't get this generosity thing down. And I've got a file folder I keep of stories that people have told me over the years, sent me letters, emails, texts, saying we started to tithe, we started to give, and here's what God has done in our lives. It's incredible. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. Take the adventure of becoming a giver. Let that become the picture that motivates your financial fitness habits. You get it? Good. Let's pray. Lord God, the only way we're going to pull this off is with your help. Because even now, that little voice inside of us is coming up with every reason why we should not be a giver. And the fact of the matter is, our attitude toward money has many of us in its grasp. We are captive to the money monster. We're being destroyed by debt or by materialism and greed or, you know, by our hearts just growing cold toward you because of all the stuff we spend our money on. And you want warm hearts toward you. You want us to become, like yourself, a generous God. You want us to become generous people. So God, help us put into practice the habits that will ensure that generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.